Hello there, I'm Benny. And I'm Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. This is the podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it. So here we are, we're back. This is a couple days after our last recording. It is. Are you enjoying the long weekend, Benny? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's President's Day today, so um, I got a day off. I got to fly around in space and playing some um, video games, and nice. now I'm up here hanging out with you and talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, a little bit behind the scenes on the podcast, although this episode is released in May, we are recording on President's Day which is the day where we celebrate people who truly serve the people of the country, mm. the people who dedicate their time and resources to solving the problems of this country, mm. <laughs> people who make things better for everyone who live here, Do we though? <laughs> people who act with the utmost integrity in all they do, the presidents who sacrifice their time, effort, and even their very life energy as they visibly age, usually, more than the amount of time they spend in office, hmm. <laughs> to, to make the world a better place. I think you may be going somewhere with this, <laughs> And the best way to celebrate them is by having mattress sales and car sales. <laughs> so, yeah, go America. <laughs> this is not a political podcast. Well, everything's political. Yeah, that's true. Our our very existence is political. Yeah, I feel like on President's Day we should be allowed to choose which presidents we're celebrating. Yeah. Well, I I think it is actually officially George Washington's birthday is like the actual holiday like, itself. It falls between Washington and Lincoln's birthdays. Yeah, I remember like in elementary school. We would talk about Lincoln's birthday, and we would talk about Washington's birthday yeah. on separate days, yeah, like a week or two apart. And then at some point, I don't know, in <laughs> middle school or high school or something, they just said, uh, how about President's Day? <laughs> Probably just an excuse to give us one fewer day off. Yeah, and this way, you know, they can put it on Monday. Yeah. Which is easier for, like, businesses. That's true, I suppose. Enough about presidents, let's talk about space vampires. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Doctor Who is why we're here, not the president. Yes. So, this is Season 1, Episode 13, The Brink of Disaster. Nice. And, Benny, do you remember our Cliff Dangler from last episode? Well, um, I've decided it was a space vampire, whether <laughs> it was or not. I guess we're about to find out. But something which may or may not be a space vampire just grabbed the doctor. That's true. We... We saw hands coming from off-screen to choke the Doctor. <laughs> we don't know whose hands they are, because the Doctor has just checked on both Barbara and Ian, who, as you recall, he had previously suspected of sabotaging the ship. Sabotage. Mm -hmm. And he checked on them, and they both seemed to be fast asleep. So, as this episode begins... In what is quickly becoming a tradition of Doctor Who, 
both the mystery of whose hands they are and the Cliff Dingler itself of the Doctor being choked are resolved almost immediately. Cool. As they are revealed to be Ian's hands. Wait a second. And the Doctor pushes Ian back. Hmm. And Ian kind of yell moans. <laughs> and falls to the ground. And Barbara rushes over to him. Huh. I wanted to mention here that something happened towards the end of the previous episode that I didn't mention at the time. But unless I missed something in the Dalek serial, Mm. I believe what we have here or, you know, continuing here from the end of the previous episode is the first costume change of the show. At this point, both Barbara and Susan are wearing like kind of sleep dress type garments. Okay. And Ian's wearing just like a bathrobe, basically. (laughs) I can imagine your clothes would get, like, kind of dirty after, you know, running around caves. And, yeah. Like, they'd pass through some sort of sewer and right. the one. And, yeah, I think it's about time for some fresh clothes. Spent plenty of time, like, camping out in the forest. Yeah. And they were going to bed at the end of the previous episode, so Barbara and Susan have changed into sleep dresses, what I'm calling mm-hmm. the things they're wearing. Nightgowns? Yeah, that works. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, Ian's just kind of wearing a bathrobe. So the doctor, the doctor has like pushed Ian over. Okay. And Ian's like fallen to the ground and seemingly has fainted. Uh, His bathrobe has kind of fallen open a bit. And we kind of see like the edge of his boxers. Okay. Uh, (laughs) That's a very important detail. It is. I thought it was. And the doctor starts arguing with Barbara about whether Ian has actually fainted or if he's faking it. Turns out the doctor still suspects them mm-hmm. of, of sabotaging the ship. Sabotage. Well, and I mean, trying to choke the doctor probably doesn't help with the suspicions. That's true. And, like, it was very definitely and clearly Ian trying to choke the doctor. So the doctor... <laughs> now thinks that this is all a plot from Barbara and Ian to take control of the TARDIS. And he becomes determined to treat them as enemies. Is there any sign at this point as to why Ian might try to choke the Doctor? Not really. Um, I think we're meant to assume that that something is kind of taking control of these characters because like we had Susan with the scissors earlier and yeah, people are just kind of taking turns acting strangely. Yeah. And like they seem to be having memory issues. Right. So yeah, I didn't think it was like, it was actually Ian himself, like in charge of himself when he did this. It's unclear. Okay. You know, if there's the ghost of a space vampire (laughs) or what, but Susan, at first, sides with her grandfather, but Barbara talks to her and reminds her that she herself, Susan herself, had experienced something similar to what Ian was experiencing Mm -hmm. when she went near the control panel and then she fainted and then she had like this pain in her neck and all that sort of thing. And Barbara asks Susan, What do you think we've done? Hypnotized you? Drugged you? 
Susan, we wouldn't do anything like that, believe me. And the doctor interjects. I see, divide and conquer, eh? She's trying to poison your mind against me. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for him. Yeah, like, I guess he's just trying to figure out what's wrong with his ship, but he's not really, I don't know. I just feel like he has so few friends. Yeah, that's true. He's kind true. of a jerk. Maybe he deserves it, but yeah, must be tough being the last, possibly the last Time Lord. Maybe he's not the last Time Lord yet. Yeah, we don't really know at this point, I guess, like anything about yeah. his species or... yeah. I guess he he did say something in the very first episode about him and Susan being exiles, I believe. Mm-hmm, that sounds familiar. But, yeah, we don't really know much more than that. Susan ends up believing Barbara, though, and she briefly tries convincing the doctor that Barbara and Ian couldn't possibly have done or be responsible for all the weird shit that's been happening. Fair. But the doctor completely doesn't listen to her, (laughs) of course. At this point, he wants to put Barbara and Ian off the ship. Susan is like, what the fuck, doctor? Yeah. Giving us our what the fuck, doctor moment. What the fuck, doctor? She says, Look, grandfather, you have no means of telling what's out there. There may be no air, it may be freezing, it may be too hot to exist. And the doctor says, Yes, or it might be the Earth in the 20th century hasn't occurred to you. <laughs> There's a chance. <laughs> Even if it's slim, you know, there uh-huh. is technically a chance that that's true. <laughs> he says, My ship is very valuable, remember? So I don't know if he thinks they want to, like, try to sell the TARDIS. <laughs> or, I don't know. It was weird. Ian is kind of slowly waking up out of his faint. And Barbara is kind of trying to help him to his feet because the doctor is, like, ordering them off the ship now. (laughs) Ian is kind of still half out of it. He doesn't really understand what's going on. Mm. But before the doctor can properly follow through on his threat, an alarm sounds. And the doctor's like, oh, shit, the fault locator. Oh, so Because earlier it didn't find any faults. Right. So he goes and checks it out, and it turns out that the whole fucking thing is lit up. <laughs> and, of course, this is extremely concerning to the doctor. <laughs> it's not that it didn't find any faults, it's that, it's that it found them all, and it needed some time to, like, boot up <laughs> all the different, like, alerts. Uh-huh. So the doctor says... If one small piece of apparatus fails... A little bulb illuminates and tells me precisely where the fault is. Can you imagine what would happen if the whole of it lights up? Hmm? It means that the ship is on the point of disintegration. Wait a second, that's not the title of the show. And uh, he comes close, (laughs) the brink of disaster, but he doesn't quite say it. (laughs) So, you know, here we have the ship on the perimeter of catastrophe and (laughs) the doctor decides that maybe it's not Ian and Barbara's fault after all. Yeah, I don't think if they could pull this one off, Doctor. Yeah, I mean, they've only been on the ship for, what, a couple of serials, not that long. Yeah. In in universe, it can't be more than, like, a few a week, I would imagine, if that. Yeah. So, like... 
I highly doubt they would know enough to be able to take the ship to the circumference of Cataclysm. <laughs> yes. They might be able to break a few things, but breaking everything at once, <laughs> it's a tall order. Yeah. So the Doctor ends up saying that all four of them are to blame. I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that. Because he and includes himself in it? Yeah, it's never actually explained. Like, it's just kind of a throwaway line. I guess we're all to blame, but we don't even know what's wrong yet, other yeah. than everything. But we don't know why everything is wrong, so... Could be nobody's to blame. Yeah. Something just, you know, broke. Everything, all at once. <laughs> Bringing the ship to the verge of ruination. <laughs> so the doctor explains that the ship is on the border of annihilation. He doesn't quite say the episode title, but he comes close. In any case, the ship is about to fall apart, and he says that we all need to work together. I started wondering if this is turning into a uh, TARDIS belongs in the junkyard moment. Uh, is that going to be one of our recurring segments? <laughs> the TARDIS belongs in the junkyard. I'm not quite sure yet, though. The Doctor thinks that... There's a strong force at work somewhere which is threatening my ship. It's so strong that every piece of equipment can be out of action at the same time. <laughs> Just pretty strong. Yes. He says that they haven't crash-landed, or he'd know... Susan had said in the previous episode that it was impossible for the ship to crash. Mm -hmm. The Doctor doesn't think that there's an evil intelligence on the ship. It's never explained why he doesn't think that, but but he's not buying into your space vampire ghost theory. Yet. Yet. And he's decided that he doesn't think that Barbara and Ian did it. <laughs> okay. But he doesn't know what it was, and, like, we do need to figure that out. Susan has noticed that the alarm keeps sounding occasionally, like the alarm from the fault locator, mm -hmm. and she has determined that it sounds every 15 seconds. Mm. Barbara, like, starts pointing out that we don't actually have any working clocks, but Susan's, like, you know, Susan clarifies that she counted. Oh, okay. You know, so... Sure. Doctor doesn't really give a shit. He's just like, well, please go on counting. <laughs> and he keeps talking to Barbara and Susan. It makes you happy. Barbara and Ian. So, you know, they continue the conversation. Susan chimes in again a little while later, reconfirming that, yep, the alarm is definitely happening every 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And Ian's like, well, what does that prove? And Barbara has a realization at this moment. She says, that we have a measure of time as long as it lasts. Yes, of course. That explains the clock face. We had time taken away from us, and now it's been given back to us because it's running out. What clock face? Uh, in the previous episode when the clocks all stopped working and oh, their watches. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now time is being given back to them because it's running out. Sure. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I, okay. Uh -huh. I don't know what that means. We do get to learn a little bit about how the TARDIS actually works when another strange thing happens. We have a quick moment of bad TARDIS sound. 
and some brief Star Trek shaking. <laughs> and everyone looks at the central column in the central control panel, and it goes up and down once in total silence. Mm. And this flips the doctor's shit. That's pretty scary. He's like, It's impossible! It turns out that the column is only supposed to move while the power is on, because... The heart of the machine is under the column. You see, when the column rises, it proves the extent of the power thrust. It's pretty cool that we're getting into, like, the heart of the TARDIS. Yeah, like, this early in the series, too. Yeah. Barbara wonders... Then what would have happened if the column had come out completely? I'm not sure, like, what... Where this idea came from, but sure. Yeah. Let's let's wonder. Let's worry about the column coming out. Yes. And Susan says, "Well, the power would be free, free to escape." And the doctor chimes in here, and he says, "Can it be possible then that this is the end?" Hmm. And Ian's like, "Uh, the end? What are you talking about?" And the doctor drops the real bombshell of the episode here. We have ten minutes to survive. Maybe less. You tell us now? <laughs> and he doesn't even really give an explanation why. He's just like, yep, ten minutes left. Okay. I guess it's because because of the ship being on the verge of adversity. <laughs> in ten minutes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. Or maybe just like they have ten minutes of oxygen when the power's off. Oh, that could also be. I don't know. Just, yeah. Maybe, your version's more exciting. It was never explained, so it's entirely our headcanon of what is going to happen in ten minutes. I'm going to go with your version where it's the almost of bad. The Doctor, of course, wants to try to solve the problem, but he tells Ian... I would hope everyone wants to solve the problem. <laughs> <laughs> he tells Ian... I don't know even where to begin, Chesterton. If only I had a clue. And Barbara's like... I think, I think perhaps we've been given nothing else but clues. Okay. I like Barbara's optimism. I mean, I think she's sort of clutching at straws maybe, but <laughs> at least she's trying. Ian just, like, pretty much immediately is like, oh, yeah, right, totally. And he and Barbara have, like, a brief discussion of all the clues they've been given. Okay. So I have prepared a list of all the clues that they discuss here in this scene. Are, are you going to test me to see if I can put together the clues and <laughs> unravel the mystery? Clue number one, the food machine registered empty, but it wasn't. Okay. That's when Ian wanted to get water earlier. Yep. Clue number two, the clocks stopped working, making them aware of time, and then time was returned to them by the fault locator alarm, which we, the viewers, haven't actually heard in quite a while now. I guess the 15-second intervals don't really matter anymore. I've been thinking about that because I think that... they're assuming that because their clocks stopped working, that means time stopped? I'm not sure if... I guess that's the assumption. Because, um, you know, there... Th- I don't know that there would be a way for the TARDIS to affect, like, their wristwatches. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Okay, that's, ne- that's the next clue. Mm-hmm. What, what are the other clues? That's it. That's all the clues. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> The fact that the control panel shocks them any time they stand anywhere near it except for in the area near the scanner control is also a clue, but they don't mention it here in this scene. What if they're going backwards through time? (laughs) 
the doctor interrupts them in this clue discussion mm-hmm. and he points out that his machine, the TARDIS, can't think. And Barbara's like, I don't know, I think that's where you're wrong. Uh-huh. She explains that... Originally, the machine wasn't at fault. We were. And it's been trying to tell us so ever since. Hmm. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's a cool idea. Yeah, somehow the TARDIS is trying to communicate something to them. Mm-hmm. Barbara starts asking why the power you know, held down by the central column, mm-hmm. would want to escape. But the doctor doesn't really know. He doesn't have an answer for this. Mm-hmm. If it was an outside force causing it to escape, like a magnetic force or something, he says it would have to be as strong as a solar system. Cool. So, yeah. Ian is still worried about the power having already escaped. Mm-hmm. But the doctor is pretty sure that hasn't happened. He says... If you felt the power, dear boy, you wouldn't live to speak of it. You'd be blown to atoms by in a split second. Cool. So, yeah, I guess, like, the fact that the set still exists <laughs> means that the power hasn't escaped. Not that we still have a show. Yeah. So, yeah, no worries about that. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question, share your thoughts, or make fun of us, you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweet us at drwatcher. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. They decide to try the scanner again. Okay. Remember, we tried it in the previous episode and got, like, screensaver of (laughs) the TARDIS greatest hits. Yes. So the doctor positions Susan and Barbara over by the TARDIS doors. Mm -hmm. So if they open, the two of them can look and see what's outside. Mm -hmm. And back over by the control panel, before he flips the scanner on, he has a confession to make to Ian. He says, I lied deliberately so that they won't know. Ian asks, Well, know what? And the doctor reveals, We have five minutes only. When the end does come, they won't know anything about it. <laughs> I, I don't think you're doing them any favors there, doctor. Yeah. I think this is our bad feminism moment of the episode. Because he's, you know, like, trying to protect the fragile delicacies <laughs> of Barbara letting, and Susan. Not letting them know that they only uh-huh. have five minutes to live. By still telling them, like, you're gonna die real <laughs> soon, but not letting them know actually how soon. Yeah, I, I, okay. <laughs> yeah. The doctor apparently sees no hope. And he, like, very nobly asks Ian to face the end with him. Before Ian can answer, Susan interrupts, wondering what they're talking about. And Ian's like, oh, just a theory of mine that didn't work. And they're like, yep, we've really got to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now he's an accomplice. <laughs> so they they turn the scanner on, and we start seeing the same... TARDIS Greatest Hits screensaver, as in the previous episode. Mm -hmm. First, we see the meadow farm scene, 
and the TARDIS doors open, we, the viewers, see, like, the bright lights of an empty white soundstage outside the TARDIS doors. But Susan freaks out, and she starts crying. Nothing there! Nothing! Nothing! Nothing but space! It's all right, Susan. The scanner switches to the jungle image that it showed earlier, and the doors close again. And Barbara realizes that the doors open whenever there's a a good picture that it would be safe to go outside in, and they close whenever there's what she calls a terrible picture. Mm. The doctor describes the rest of the screensaver sequence as we watch it. He says, Then we have the sequence. A planet, a planet in the solar system, getting further away. Blinding flash, destruction. Yes, of course, it's our journey. Hmm. And Barbara realizes, and, and the ship refused to destroy itself. Yes, yes. The defense mechanism stopped the ship, and it's been trying to tell us so ever since. Of course, of course. So I guess something on their journey went wrong. Yeah. And the TARDIS... Was supposed to explode. Was supposed to explode. Yeah. But... Its defense mechanism prevented that from happening. That's a pretty good defense mechanism. Uh-huh. I want one of those. And, you know, it's still holding them here at the frontier of debacle. <laughs> but they haven't actually crossed over the frontier yet. Um, you know, we will in five minutes, but, but not actually quite yet. We go from this moment into a great... Doctor Who is an educational show moment. Oh, I think that's our first Doctor Who is an educational show moment. I think it might be, yeah. They kind of tried to hint at them in the one with the cave people serial, but we never quite got there. I I still feel like there's not really a whole lot to pick up from that serial. (laughs) (laughs) We have a brief Star Trek shake and, like, flash of light. And this leaves the doctor standing in front of the central console. And he's facing directly toward the camera, perfectly centered in our view, Mm -hmm. with his back to the console, perfectly framed with the console on either side behind him. And the lighting has kind of lowered to, like, kind of some mood lighting. And the camera slowly pushes in on the doctor as he explains. I know. I know. I said it would take the force of a total solar system to attract the power away from my ship. We are at the very beginning. The new start of a solar system. Outside, the atoms are rushing towards each other, fusing, coagulating, until minute little collections of matter are created. And so the process goes on and on until dust is formed. 
dust then becomes solid entity, a new birth of a sun and its planets. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it was cool. It was like, yeah, here's how stars are born, kids. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Educational. And I don't, is it true that stars start off as dust? I think so, yeah. Like a, a nebula I guess that's kind, of kind of coalesces dust. and collapses. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I like this. That's interesting. Yeah. Ian, though, in spite of being a science teacher, doesn't really care about <laughs> education at this moment. I mean, there's a time and a place. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, but, like, where actually are we? Mm-hmm. Like, when we left Scaro, where did you tell this thing to take us? Mm-hmm. And the doctor explains that he actually wanted to take them back to Earth. And since Scaro is in the future, he used the fast return switch. Ian wants to see the switch, so the doctor takes him over to show him. Is it still held down? Well, I actually had a little bit of a problem here. I was thinking if the doctor was using the fast return switch from Scarrow, mm-hmm. shouldn't that take them back to where they were before? Wouldn't that just like take them back to the one with the cave people? If it's like fast return? Well, the cave people is at least on Earth. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, I'm kind of wondering if like they went back too far. Now they're at the Big Bang. Oh, I was also thinking maybe the fast return switch is kind of like a browser history. <laughs> and like you hit a, they hit it once, it'll take them back to the one with the cave people. Then they just hit it again, and it'll take them back to 1960s England. Oh, gotcha. Just kind of going back through the TARDIS's history. <laughs> but I don't know, it's never really explained. In any case, the Doctor takes Ian over to show him the switch, which happens to be on the control panel near the scanner switch. In other words, in the safe part of the control panel, the part that the TARDIS allows them access to. Mm-hmm. And in showing Ian the switch, the Doctor actually figures out the problem. Turns out, the button's stuck down. Hey, I was right. <laughs> There's a spring inside of the button that, you know, basically unpresses it when you release your finger. Mm-hmm. And the spring is stuck. So it's as if the button has been held down this entire time. Hmm. So it turns out this entire two-episode serial, spoiler alert, the serial is only two episodes. Okay, okay. This entire two-episode serial is one long, extended, the TARDIS belongs in a junkyard moment. (laughs) The whole thing. That TARDIS belongs in a junkyard. Yep. So, you know... I do enjoy that for something that's high-tech as, like, a, basically a spaceship. You just get a button that's stuck. <laughs> right. It's like <laughs> that's a, causing all these issues. A purely mechanical problem that, you know, somehow the button being stuck, we're, like, in the midst of a fast return, that has brought them to the threshold of tragedy. <laughs> it sure has. So the doctor takes the button apart, and he takes the spring out, and, you know, turns it around and reattaches it. And the button unpresses, and, like, all of the TARDIS lights come back on, and, like, the background humming noise ramps up to its normal volume, and everything's totally chill and cool. Mm -hmm. Susan wonders 
why the fault locator couldn't just tell them what the problem was. Yes, that's a good question. And the doctor explains that it's because, like, the fast return switch itself wasn't actually broken. Uh, apparently, the the TARDIS fault locator is, like, a pretty big pedant. <laughs> it's all, you know, technically there wasn't a fault with the switch, <laughs> but, like... There was, right? Like they, they just need to add an extra light for this, you know, next to the switch. Right. A, now a light for the spring inside the spring the switch. inside the switch. <laughs> yeah, like I think if they had had a fault locator light for the spring inside of the fast return switch. Exactly. Like this would have been solved in thirty seconds. <laughs> But, you know, that's well, what you get for having a pedantic fault locator. And we know that the doctor only prepares for disasters that have already that happened. That have already happened, right. <laughs> the doctor makes a little self-deprecating joke to Susan here, telling her, You know, my dear child, I think your old grandfather is going a tiny little bit around the bend. <laughs> oh. And they both have a good laugh. Okay. <laughs> Susan mentions the fact that he was pretty fucking shitty to Barbara and Ian earlier. <laughs> and the doctor kind of starts stammering a little bit. And Ian interrupts and says, Don't bother to say anything, Doctor. You know, there are times when I can read every thought on your face. <laughs> really? <laughs> and the doctor replies, And I always thought that you were a young man without any recrimination in you. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then he turns to Barbara and he says, Well, uh, that's uh, you, young lady. Well, uh, you were absolutely right. It was your instinct and intuition against my logic, and uh, you succeeded. I mean, the blackouts and, and uh, still pictures and, 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 uh, and the clock. Well, uh, you read a story into all these things and uh, was determined to hold on to it. We all owe you our lives. Well done. Indeed. You will notice that there was not any no. actual mention of apology no, in there. No, there was not. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, no, no, that, that's still pretty cool of him. Yeah. Just to, you know, to not only say thank you or we, we owe you our lives, but to, like, acknowledge all of the things that she actually did. And right, that yeah. his own logic wasn't as effective right yeah intuition. he tried to solve it and couldn't and I, I, she did yeah i i will say you know being 60s feminism and all that that assigning the intuition to the woman and the logic to the man but i i will also take the good which is that he is acknowledging her contribution yeah well she definitely notices the lack of an actual apology. <laughs> she starts saying something in response, but then she just gets up and leaves the room. Okay. The doctor fucks up Ian's name again, mm. which he had... I actually just edited an episode yesterday where we talked about him calling Ian Chesserman. Yes. And wondered, like, was that William Hartnell's fuck up or was that actually in the script? Yeah. But here he says, You know, I really believe I have underestimated that young lady in the past. Shout out. It's not even close. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> this time Ian just laughed at it. But then I, you know, I wonder, like, it's becoming a running gag now, apparently. This is the second time it's happened. 
but that still doesn't explain the first time. Yeah. Was that first time actually scripted or did William Hartnell mess up? And then they're like, Oh, that was funny. We should keep doing that. Yeah. And it just going to turn into a thing. Yeah. But Ian just laughs at it. The doctor starts messing with the TARDIS control panel and we hear the good TARDIS traveling sound. And the picture fades to black. And then we fade up on a new scene sometime later. Hmm. And, of course, we know some time has passed because of the fade to black rather than just the hard cut. And Barbara is in full clothing now, rather than just her nightgown. And the doctor comes in to her room and explains to her that... We've landed on a planet and the air is good, but it's rather cold outside. It's pretty clear in her response that she's still pissed at him. Justifiable. Yeah, absolutely. And for once, he actually picks up on it. Okay. And he asks her about it. She replies that he said some pretty terrible things about about them. And he realizes... Yes, I suppose it's the injustice that's upsetting you. And when I made a threat to put you off the ship, it must have affected you very deeply. Yeah. Fair. Uh-huh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> when I threatened to just... Chuck you off this ship without even checking if there was uh-huh. oxygen or into what turned out to be nothingness. Or, yeah, that wouldn't have not been great. Uh huh. So Barbara asks, "What do you care what I think or feel?" And the doctor replies, "As we learn about each other, so we learn about ourselves." Deep, but also not really a meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a little bit interesting though because I realized. That at this point, the doctor essentially seems like a recluse. He lives in a junkyard Mm -hmm. alone with his granddaughter, Mm -hmm. telling everyone to fuck off and leave him alone. But now he's been forced in, well, kind of forced into interacting with these two other people for like 12 or 13 episodes now. And maybe he's starting to realize some of the benefits that come with social interaction. Huh. Well, it's never too late. <laughs> Even if you're a grumpy old man. Who's still the youngest that will ever see this character. That's true. I still think about that sometimes. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, blows my mind to think that, like, you know, Matt Smith may seem, you know, right. like a, a young kid compared to William Hartnell, but he's actually the older version right. of the He's doctor. actually, like, thousands of years older, I Dang. believe, at that point. Nice. Well, he looks good for his age. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor tells Barbara that Susan has laid out some outside clothing for her, Mm -hmm. because it's cold out, and he mentions that... You know, we have a very extensive wardrobe here. Which I thought was cool. Mm -hmm. Barbara actually already knows this. It turns out that the very cute turtleneck sweater that she's wearing currently is from the ship's wardrobe. That's so cool. I, I love that they have this. Like, yeah. I just imagine it kind of like the, you know, guns, lots of guns scene in the <laughs> where it just like goes on forever. And yeah. Like just all these racks of clothes. I think it, it must be basically. Yeah, I, I guess Susan had, you know, off screen shown Barbara the wardrobe earlier and, you uh-huh. know, let her pick some stuff out of it. 
I do want to point out that it's not just me saying that it's a very cute sweater. The doctor actually says, Yes, I think they're rather charming. We must look after you, you know. You're very valuable. Good job, doctor. Not time. <laughs> so he and Barbara head out into the main control room of the TARDIS, where Susan and Ian are already waiting and ready to head outside. It must be pretty cold outside because Susan and Ian are both in winter coats. Barbara thinks that Ian's coat is... Very chic. Nice. And the doctor agrees that it suits Ian. Always a trifle too big for me, the doctor says. And then he says... You know, I acquired that Ulster from Gilbert and Sullivan. (laughs) Doesn't explain if it was like a gift or if he just like stole it. it. (laughs) But yeah, apparently Ian is wearing a Gilbert and Sullivan Ulster. That's fun. Yeah. Susan is already outside at this point, like playing and frolicking in the snow. And Barbara has also left with Susan and is watching her. And as... Ian and the doctor are about to head out. Susan calls to her grandfather, and he and Ian look up to see her on the scanner screen from outside, and she shows them this huge footprint that she found Hmm. that she thinks must have been made by a giant. And with this, the screen fades to black, and the title... Next episode, The Roof of the World appears. Whoa, cool. Yeah. Maybe it's a Yeti. (laughs) I think that's, that's what I felt like they were trying to set up. Cool. Giant footprint in the snow. Yeah. Can only mean one thing. And the roof of the world, you know, yeah. like high high altitudes, snow, yetis. So, yeah. It's cool to have a two-episode serial, because the last one was pretty long. The last one was pretty long. The um, it was good. The Daleks was a long I, one. I enjoyed hearing about it. Um, I do still kind of want to watch it at some point, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no space vampires, though. Yeah. Which, I mean, so everyone was acting strange and had pains in their necks. I guess that was the TARDIS doing that to them? I guess. Like, psychically never really explained. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was weird. Shrug. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I do enjoy these kind of bottle episodes, though. Yeah. It's, It's very kind of simple, and it gives the characters a chance to interact and solve a mystery and either um, work together or bump heads or both. Right. That's pretty cool. And it's also probably a good way to save budget. Yeah, that's also I, true. I yeah, like Daleks are not cheap to build. <laughs> and yeah, then this entire two-episode serial took place completely within the TARDIS. Yeah. Like, no new sets. Yeah. Only things we've already seen before. Just add stuff to the screensaver. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I do think that the revelation at the end seems to not quite explain everything that happened. Um, But that's okay, because it's space and 
time travel and TARDIS <laughs> and we don't really know the rules. Right. They actually talk about when the doctor says that my machine can't think and Barbara's like, well, maybe it can. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, yeah, maybe it can. But, like, it wouldn't think like us. It would think like a machine. Hmm. So, you know, how do we know what the TARDIS is thinking? Maybe maybe giving Ian a pain in the neck and making him choke the doctor seemed like a perfectly obvious clue to the TARDIS. (laughs) It's like, how do they not get that that means that the spring of the fast return switch is broken? Yeah, yeah, it's it's doing its best. (laughs) Um, so this is the end of the serial. Would you recommend watching it? That's an interesting question. I think with this serial, it's, it's kind of fun while it's happening to try to figure out what's going on. But then like, like we just discussed, like very little of it actually ever gets paid off. (laughs) And the bits that do get paid off don't necessarily make sense. Yeah. So I still think it's fun. It is fun. (laughs) Like if you decide to watch it, it's only two episodes. So, you know, that's only like 50 minutes of your life. (laughs) And the doctor does at least at the end acknowledge that Barbara did good and he screwed it up. So yeah, that's true. That's worth it. We do have our first good doctor who is an educational moment. That's true. In this, in this one. Yeah, that that is true. It sounds like a cool moment. I'd actually want to see that. The the common name for the serial, you know, we've talked about unofficial yeah. names. Yeah, because these episodes only have individual names. Right. So the common name for this serial is The Edge of Destruction. Okay. Which is just the name of the first episode. Yeah, yeah. I seem to do that sometimes. Yeah. I was discussing it with my partner the other day, and we were thinking that, well, she suggested, you know, the first episode is The Edge of Destruction. Yeah. The second episode is The Brink of Disaster. Yes. So the serial should be The Edge of Disaster. The Edge of the Brink of the Destruction of Disaster. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) (laughs) The Edge of the Brink of the Frontier of the Periphery of... (laughs) The border of... How much time did you spend on thesaurus.com before this recording? <laughs> thesaurus, what's that? Uh, all right. Well, should we wrap it up? I think so. Cool. Join us next time to find out what we assume is probably going to be his- a historical if we're following the pattern. Yes. Actually, before we sign off, I need to mention the fast return switch again. Okay. Because they fixed the spring, right? So the switch should be working. So it should take them to the one with the cave people. What the hell are they doing in, like, a snowy mountain? (laughs) We've never been to a snowy mountain before. I mean, like... uh, Yeah. Anyway. We just needed another episode. Come back in two weeks. We'll talk about the roof of the world. Yes. Bye. Bye. Hi, Benny here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. 
Thanks to Kyle for talking to me about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to me, listening to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at drwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. which hadn't broken down, therefore the fault locator couldn't give us any recognition. You see, let me give you a demonstration. Now look, when I put my thumb on there, the light comes on. And it only stays on so long as my thumb is pressing that switch. As soon as I take it off, a little spring inside releases the, the, the switch here and out goes the light. I see. So if the spring were broken, it would be as if your finger were pressing it down all the time. Precisely. As simple as that. <laughs>